millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, folks. Our Wimbledon coverage this year is sponsored by Local Tennis Leagues, the home of friendly, competitive tennis in the UK. With over 10,000 players in local tennis leagues up and down the country, it's never been easier to find someone locally with a similar ability to have a hit with. It really is tennis on your terms, competitive and with total control of when and where you play over eight week rounds. It's also a fun way to get fit, meet new people, make the most of your local park or tennis venue and get those competitive juices flowing. And it's absolutely open to all standards. You just need to be 18 or over to play. So whether you're at the beginning of your tennis journey like me or a master on the court like me, there's something for everyone. Once you're signed up, there's also the chance to win prizes, play for points and receive a free tube of tennis balls just for playing your matches. You also get a host of other great benefits, including access to the Wimbledon ballot. So what are you waiting for? Join Local Tennis Leagues today at www.localtennisleagues.com and use our exclusive checkout code WEEKLY50 in capitals for 50% off your £18 entry fee. That's www.localtennisleagues.com, WEEKLY50 at the checkout. The link is in the description. So get ready to play some friendly competitive tennis on a court near you. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim. On today's Wimbledon Round 1 Catch-Up, sponsored by local tennis leagues. Rafael Nadal survives a Round 1 scare. Igor Sviantek returns to score win number 36. And after a year out, Serena Williams makes her long-awaited return to the singles court. Chris, today is the 28th of June and we are here to catch up on round one at Wimbledon at Tennis Weekly HQ. Serena Williams is still on court. There are still some round one matches still to be played, but it is all going very, very nicely at at Wimbledon. And somewhere there or somewhere coming home from there is Kim, who managed to see Rafa today, got out her sunnies, got out her Spanish themed clothing uh, to support her man but um yeah she's on the way back so you have kindly filled in for our round one catch-up and uh yeah it's been a it's been another eventful well it's been a lot eventful last couple of days both on and off the court it's been a very eventful last couple of days (laughs) and it's still going i'm glued to the live score so if there's a pause or a delay it's because serena is still on as we speak she's just been broken back for three all in the third my nerves are shot but i will do my best (laughs) I thought they were shot after Muguruza and Greet Minnan had a well. Muguruza just stormed off the stormed off the court. It looked like she wanted to stop play, and I can understand why because that's not the sort of set that she should be losing. And I think she was complaining about poor light, but I think she might have been the first uh, people on court to complain about poor light. But <laughs> at the same time, I understand the end of a set it makes more mm. sense if you know that you won't complete the match. 
Um, but I think she'll be having many, many words with Kachita after that first set. <laughs> she'll need some help. Yeah, she definitely needs it. I mean, she's just been in bad run of form in, in the most, well, to be honest, the first half of the year. So it's no surprise, um, you know, she's in a real tussle uh, against Minnan. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll obviously look into all the action from round one. We're going to start with day two in the first half, go back on to day one in the second half. We're also going to be revealing our collector set player picks and predictions. And then we're going to finish on looking ahead to day three at Wimbledon. But Chris, obviously, we've got to start with a bit of a down downbeat news. And I think it's the, the thing no one really wanted to address. But unfortunately, it has reared its ugly head. And that is COVID affecting, in particular, the men's draw. Marin Cilic last night um, is out and today Matteo Berrettini is also out. Now, these players have tested positive and this is not Wimbledon saying you tested positive, therefore you're out of the competition. This is they have tested positive and they don't want to endanger fans, fellow players, staff working at the event and have pulled themselves out of the competition, which you know is a smart move. But at the same time, I mean, hearing that that Berrettini news today, that was, I mean, he described it as heartbreaking. I feel like, mm. I feel like the nation's heart b- broke for him because he was one of the favourites. We were sort of, you know, thinking, you know, could he do the unthinkable and go on and win his first Wimbledon Grand Slam after getting to the final next year? So an absolutely rotten piece of luck for him, given his, his form coming into the tournament. Absolutely. Um, I saw the the news on Twitter this morning and I just thought it's mm. such a, a devastating blow. I remember a similar thing happened to, I think it was Joe Conta last year after she won the Nottingham title. They're both kind of unbeaten coming into to Wimbledon. And I mean, I, I put him down to the final potentially. I, I thought he had a really good shot at winning it this year. So that's a big blow. Chilich as well, coming off some great form in the French. Obviously, it's his best surface. I think it's... Um, it's obviously gutting for them. I think it's also quite gutting for tennis fans because in the absence of, you know, there's obviously not all of the, the Russian players who are kind of in the top 10. It does mean there are some big holes in the draw. And there is a conspiracy theory because they're both in Nadal's half of the draw. <laughs> so, oh, here we saying, go. Here you are with the conspiracy theory. Yes, saying. yes, we're all aware yeah. that Nadal, I mean, Nadal, I mean, based on what we saw earlier with, with, Nadal versus Serendola. I feel like he's going to need all the luck he can get to get and to he's that final. And, he's, and he's having it. And he's having it, right? Is, he's had yeah. two big pieces of luck, particularly with, you know, Marin Cilic was like in his quarter. Berrettini was in his half. So, yes, you would say, you know, maybe Nadal is probably the most... He's the, the real winner out of this. Has, yeah, he's the real winner, right? But, I mean, in terms of, you know, this situation, you know, we've seen and heard about, um, you know, new variants in the UK and... You know, Wimbledon is there's, there's no restrictions this year. It's completely at capacity. There is no testing. You know, there is no daily testing requirement from players. Now, what does this mean for Wimbledon? Should we be worried? Because when I heard when I said first saw this with Marin Cilic, I thought you know, oh, bad luck. That's really unfortunate. But the draw the draw moves on. But the fact that we've had two players and this <laughs> we're not even finished day two yet. Have they got cause for concern? I think so. And they put out a statement saying they're reviewing mm. kind of their decision not to have daily testing as a requirement. I think that it's definitely something where they'll need to monitor it. And 
if I was a player, I'd be very, very careful. I'd be limiting my contact. I wouldn't be kind of being too friendly as I kind of approach. I'd be it. putting a face mask on. Oh, I mean, actually, that's true. I, I think I probably would as well. I would be interested to see players going forward in the competition, whether they break out their, you know, their face mask again, given, you know, what has happened. And it's just, I think, a bit of a reminder for you know everyone that, that unfortunately COVID is still about. Yes, we want to get on with our lives and enjoy all this tennis in front of us. But, um, you know, <laughs> you, you want to take, you know, no chances. I mean, Serena, imagine Serena after a year preparing mm. for this. And what if she caught COVID from, you know, Berrettini yesterday? I'm not saying I don't think they would have. I don't think they had contact with each other. But there's that mm. picture with Nadal, obviously. Yeah. When did Berrettini catch it? There are some selfies on Instagram and on social media that are not aging well as we speak, given these, uh, you know, given these events. Did Nadal get tested? Maybe his performance was subpar for a reason. Well, I mean, I mean that is an interesting point though, because from the player perspective, if I'm feeling symptoms and but there's no onus on me to do testing and i'm let's say we're in you know heading into the business end it's round four maybe it's my first ever time in you know round four of of wimbledon and i don't want my dream to be over i mean there's surely going to be some players who are going to be like well I don't want to know. I'm not going to test and I'm going to keep myself in the in the competition. I don't think, you know, I think it's very magnanimous what, what Berrettini and Chilich have done in terms of, you know, protecting the welfare of you know other individuals around them. I think it could also be Berrettini made it clear that he was pretty unwell. He had flu-like symptoms. Mm. Yeah. And it's one of those things where if you're a top player, he's got big partnerships and it's a very, very, very bad look if you take yourself out on court, having tested because you weren't feeling well, and then you actually cause a major problem. So I think it's kind of the the bare minimum. I think if you are asymptomatic, obviously, then there's no need to get tested. But I think it was something where both of these players were not well at all. So do you think players should have feel the responsibility that they should withdraw themselves, even if there's no if you're feeling requirement symptoms. on to do, to do so? I think, well, I mean, it's a it's a moral piece. It's something about your partnerships, mm. the brands that you represent. It's about um, if you aren't feeling fully fit, I mean, a lot of players would, will go and still play because you're not a risk to anybody else. But I would mm. say with this one, it's different because there are big impacts you could have on one of the biggest sporting events in the world. So if you do get tested and you do know that, you, you can't not pull out. Oh, you know, it's interesting. I you're, you'd be you know, playing. You'd have made it through I, qualifiers. You know what? If, if, be... <laughs> if, if hey, if I was a qualifier, you know, on my dream run, you know, and I wouldn't want it to end. And as much as you know, there would be a part of me being like, yes, uh, and and let's say big I, paycheck, I test positive, big paycheck, no points exactly. though, Joel, no so... ranking points. Would that change your opinion? <laughs> mm, yeah, probably, probably not. But yeah, I, I do think <laughs> it could be a it could be a dilemma that you know players do face, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, what Wimbledon, um, you know, what Wimbledon do, what the players do, um, and and whether we see any withdrawals because of COVID. Obviously, we don't want to see that, and I do think it's. I mean, let's be honest; it has sort of, I feel like, decimated the integrity, certainly of that bottom half of of the men's draw. Completely. Um, but um, yeah, I just I don't. <laughs> I, I was hoping we were over it, but it, it just seems to be 
yeah, one of these things that we're still having to contend with. And there's going to be a heightened sense of anxiety, I think, just maybe, you know, in the in the grounds kind of going forward over the rest of the, you know, the rest of the, the week and going into next week as well. Completely. I think it's um something where it's definitely caused to stir. But I think we should probably... Uh, talk about Nadal, the main beneficiary of it. I mean, as long as he can stay <laughs> away from Berrettini now mm. after those selfies, um, I actually think it might be a great way to explain his kind of poor form today. But it was less mm. than convincing. Well, people were saying that about Novak Djokovic yesterday, which we will come on to in the second half. But, you know, there was talk of him looking a bit lethargic. I mean, he certainly was expected to walk through that match. And, you know, similar to Nadal, very, very sluggish. Uncharacteristic errors, right? Yeah, exactly. And for Nadal, he's had previous here, you know, Dustin Brown, Steve Darcis. I was sort of wondering, is Francisco Serendola going to add himself, you know, to this list? Because, you know, in that fourth set, uh, Serendolo was 4-2 up. It, It may have looked like we were heading to a fifth. But, you know, Nadal did, you know, come through and win those, you know, last four games of the match and, and was able to nip it in the bud. But at the same time, yeah, it wasn't as convincing as I think a lot of people were, you know, expecting against, you know, against a player who, yeah, is a good player on a clay court. And I, w- I would expect to do well in, in South America on the Golden Swing. But on said court at Wimbledon against a two-time champion in Rafa Nadal, I wasn't expecting it so much. I wasn't expecting it either. Um, I think the commentators mm. got a bit overexcited because they made it seem like he was really kind of on the way out when he was down, going into kind of uh, at the end of the fourth set when he had points to go down a double break to 4-1. I think that would have been uh, obviously interesting, but you would never think he would lose that match, even if it went to a fifth. Obviously, he's Rafael Nadal. I think it's he hasn't had the match practice, uh, kind of if you look at it over... Um, five sets on grass, no one really has. If it was a straight sets match, uh, so a three-set match, it would have been straight sets. So it could be a concentration thing. He didn't look as good as expected. But, I mean, all you've got to do in the first few rounds is get the W, um, which he did, and he stormed back. He was tested. He passed the test. So I don't think it's, it's less than convincing, but job done. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he, it was interesting because I think in his, you know, in his press, he did say, you know, my body, you know, I'm not as as young as I used to be, and it takes time for my body to recover, and that's, you know, one of the reasons he just doesn't do grass court, you know, warm up events. Yeah, he may play the, you know, the odd match at, uh, you know, the odd exhibition match in in Hurlingham, but um, you know, that is one of the reasons he, you know, doesn't tend to do, you know lead-ups like he he used to you know he has played queens in the past but that's you know that's going back quite a few years now um but yeah perhaps there was you know a bit of rust there I mean one player who didn't really show signs of rust um and just sort of continued where she left off really on on the clay court was Iga Sviontek um (laughs) quite you know was sort of you know given the the you know was given the the platform to open in the absence of, of Ash Barty uh, today um, on, on centre court. And she duly delivered, uh, Chris, because she added another bagel to her season against Yana Fett. Mm-hmm. Um, 36 consecutive win. I think she won 6-love, six 6-3. Six and Fett, you know, she's an interesting player because, you know, she had match points against Caroline Wozniacki a few years ago. That was uh, on the, the year uh... that Wozniacki won the title. 
Mm, exactly. So, you know, she title. was a she was a you know, she is a, a handy player on her day, can bring, you know, bring her level uh, against top players. But Iga Shiontek really just didn't let her get into the match. She really didn't. I think it's um, I mean, it's unbelievable. Kind of you you haven't played since you won the front. She's rock up with a six love <laughs> set. And I think most people, mm. the adjustment is quite a severe adjustment. Yeah. It's not like, Rafa. well, I mean, exactly. And uh, she kind of started like a well-oiled machine. She had a bit, a few more difficulties in the second set. So I think it was an, uh, over an hour and 15, the match in total, considering the first set was very swift. So there were some challenges. Um, she got through it again. I think that it's, um, it's great that she got through. I think we really could do with um, Iga having a deep run at this tournament as well. But the question I want to ask you is, who do you think should have opened up um, the Tuesday for the women. Mm. Well, I said this. I said this on the preview. I still think it should have been Simona Hallett. I think Hallett. And, um, I think Hallett. She had a great yeah. interview where she she said that she'll have another chance, which I really like. This isn't her chance. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm like, love well, that hang attitude. on. She. I mean, she. You know, and and based on her win against Carolina Mukova, because mm. you know, she won that very comfortably, six three six two. I thought this was going to be a lot closer um, than you know than that score line but um yeah she played very very well very very convincing and um you know i'm not sh- i'm not really sure what to expect from from Hallett this tournament because you know there were injury concerns you know she had to pull out of her her lead up tournament in in bad homburg um just as a precautionary measure i think for her body but um very decent win um for Hallett and uh has kirsten flipkins next she does indeed. I think that's a great win for Flipkins. The Belgian veterans have had a good tournament. Mm. Wickmeyer got through today as well after coming through qualifying. Mm. But back to Halep. Um, so I was super impressed with the performance. Obviously, Mukova was injured at the French. So she hasn't been kind of as prepared as she might want to be or as comfortable moving um, as you need to be on grass because you really have to trust your footwork and you have to trust your footing. And especially if you're trying to protect an injury, that can be very, very difficult. So I kind of understand that, but I rewatched that final recently, parts of the final against Serena, and she went for her shots. And I think that's when I saw Halep in Rome, it was way too defensive. And so I think what I like about her grass game and her grass game today, maybe not so much in some of the matches I've seen on grass so far this season, is that she was up in the court and she was taking that ball on. And I think that's the difference for Halep is when she's winning points by taking on the ball it really, really helps her because if you are just playing the margins of retrieval, it's so hard and so much effort to consistently kind of get those points. And she really got the balance right today. Um, one more thing I'd say on Halep was in her pre-tournament press conference, she mentioned a certain, uh, she was asked about a certain post by Patrick Mortogalou about the fact that he fully took responsibility for her loss at the French Open. And did he ask her before he posted it? And what did she think of it? Um, and it was quite funny because she was like, he didn't ask. He never asked me about what he posts. They didn't necessarily agree with it, but, you know, they're in a much better place now. And it was, um, it's interesting because it's definitely a partnership where you feel like... They're both personalities. Yeah. They are both personalities. It, feels, it doesn't feel like there's a, a, a like a... It's chaos. A backroom staff. <laughs> it doesn't feel like there's a backroom staff there with, with Muratoglu, does there? It feels like they're both personalities. They're both... A lot of feelings in it. Front like, you and know? centre... And, you know, I've, you know, I, I, I was wondering with, you know, with this partnership in terms of, you know, how do those 
how do those personalities combine? Can they can they combine? Because you know we see you know both of them are you know very outward going. Mm. Uh, you know, love to you know express themselves. Mm. Um, and whether you can have that sort of you know whether how those two can combine is I think an interesting. And it sounds like it's something that they've had to work with. Um, it's not just been an instant seamless transition. Yeah, and you've seen that with. Darren Cahill with Darren mm. Cahill there's that famous thing um on YouTube I think that she's in Miami or something and um she's getting really down on herself and when you see a post from like Patrick Mortoglu where he's saying it's all my fault it's all my responsibility and he's getting down on his, himself it's a bit of an unusual one because normally that isn't necessarily what a coach would communicate and kind of put out there because it's quite a personal relationship that people have in, in those sorts of spaces but maybe it's so that she doesn't get down about herself he tries to take the blame so there could be something in it it could be mm. interesting but either way she's through I didn't think the partnership would last until now and I'm not sure where they are in the draw Serena and Hallett but I mean that would be a fascinating encounter given who is in Hallett's box but I'm here for the tennis obviously well, I mean, you you spoke about it. Let's talk about Serena Williams. It's currently five. It's so all stressful. In she the just set. didn't serve it out. I can't cope. I know, right? It's so hard to hold a conversation. Genuinely. <laughs> um, I mean, it's 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 been quite topsy turvy. You know, you oh, know, Harmony Tan win. Honestly, come on, Tan, please. <laughs> she needs to read the script, right? No. Um, yeah. You know, Harmony Tan. Uh, you know, seven five won the first set. Serena Williams came back, won the second set, six one. I feel like they had a match within a match with that never-ending juice game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very concert, early on in concert the concert was commentating, and she said that that game was 19 minutes and 43 seconds, <laughs> and the first set of Kerber Nadanovic was 16. <laughs> yes. And I'm like, yes, that I is... Know. That is... Um, I mean, that's a stat. That really is. That's a call for Nadanovic just to keep to the doubles, doubles arena, right? I think it's... Um, it's, it's, or am I being a bit harsh? Am I being a bit harsh? A six love set in 16 minutes is is pretty mm. dire by anyone's standards. Um, yes. I mean, it's she's obviously so talented. Um, some of her shot making, even highlights reel, is unbelievable. It's all between the ears with her, unfortunately. And when she has a partner, she can do it. When she's by herself now, I don't think she can. Um, I think having her family as her team also makes it a difficult situation for her. I'm not sure she's hearing what she needs to hear some of the truths you might need to hear. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was shocking. But Serena, Serena is back. That first set, she did well to kind of get back into it. And I thought she was going to break to take that set. And then she kind of lost her way a little bit. Um, and then she was a break up again in the third set. But I mean, people are always inspired when they play Serena. And Tan was very much inspired playing shots that you don't really see people hit. Lots of um, backspin, lots of slice, um Serena obviously a bit rusty at the start a bit nervous obviously coming on um after so much time away and I think it's um it's positive though if Serena can get through this because she's moving much better than I was expecting based on kind of the Eastbourne um matches where I think she was probably trying to protect the injury slightly and she was on at quite a late time so it could be a bit slippy but I was impressed with her shot making she's staying Mm. very far into the court yeah, I was going to mention that because, you know, you, you, as you said, you spoke about Simona Halep and mm. how she was, you know, hugging the baseline, stepping in, not giving time to her, you know, opponent. And it felt like 
watching that, you know, it felt like Serena also had similar similar sort of tactics. I was wondering whether she felt that that Tan, you know, was going for the angles and was trying to cut it, you know, was trying to cut those angles down. I think she just couldn't get the ball past her. I think Serena, yeah. Tan was moving really, really well. And Serena didn't want to play her game. And I guess especially kind of playing herself back into fitness. I mean, she is still on, she's on for three hours at the moment. But I think it was the decision that she really did not want to be on the court for three hours and have to play seven balls because she'll probably miss the seventh, you know? So I think it's, um, it was kind of a wanting to be aggressive, wanting to play the match on her terms, also wanting to kind of not have to make this into a sort of a too physical a contest. But I feel like it might be at two hours and 48 minutes. I mean, it's impressive, I think, how Tan has has bounced back from that that second set. Because you would have just thought Serena of old come in and, you know, and steamroll. I think she wants it too much. And that's something that mm. I think Navratilova always says is that she never got nervous until she was at the end of her career. And then every single opportunity means so much more. And I mean, she must really, really want 24. Yeah. So I, mean, you, I feel like you can feel that in some of the, the shots that go long or go wide. It's, it's almost like she feels like there's too much, it's too much going into it. All of the Grand Slam finals mm. that she's played um, since coming back from maternity leave. Uh, I mean, it's just been a case of thinking that she she's over pushed. So I think it's um, there is a tendency there. So. I really hope she gets through this. If it gets to six or Joel, do we suspend recording? Unfortunately, Chris, it doesn't. It doesn't work, it doesn't like, work that. like that. Okay, but okay. we can we can come we can come back to it if okay. If, okay. if that does happen. But at the same time, I'm you know we're not going to pause if, okay. if the worst happens. And, My commitment and is with tennis tan. weekly, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, I mean, some other kind of matches that went on today of note. Um, you know, we had Alex de Menor, uh, who replaced Berrettini on court one, came through against Hugo Delian, which is quite a nice win. Alex de Menor, he might be sensing that as an opportunity now, um, you know, um, in this in this half. You know, there's going to be players who are going to want to obviously make the most of having the absence of players like Cilic and Berrettini. And maybe Alex de Menor, you know, he's quite a reasonable grass quarter, so he could be one to to take that position on. So that, that was quite a good, you know, nice, nice win there. And also on court one, we had Heather Watson. Yes, uh, we did. Match from last night against the German Korpach. It was one set all overnight. Heather Watson coming back onto number one court, got the job done. Six, four, five, seven, six, two in that third set. And uh, yeah, I think we'll be remembering that, that on court interview afterwards for for a while because it was it was unexpectedly emotional wasn't it from from Watson I felt like I could understand it because anyone who watched her match last Mm. year where she just completely beat herself and it's been a really tough and she said it in her uh, her interview it's been a really tough two years and you can see it in the results and some of the belief that she at times doesn't have in herself and some of those frustrations so I really didn't think she was going to get this win based on how she sort of scuppered some real opportunities in that first set and she was pushing her forehand and you could tell that she was just not able to play freely so for her to come back and regroup and come through in that set I think it just meant the world because she's seeing all these other British girls doing amazing things and she's obviously a little bit older than a few of them so it must just feel so good to get that same feeling a feeling that she hasn't had for a while um and I just think, good on her, you know, she's, she really does 
um, yeah, I think she really does deserve to give herself some more opportunities because she hasn't always taken opportunities that she should have should have got. So it was very emotional, though. I did. I was a bit emotional watching it, and I'm pretty much dead inside, Joel. So I think it was. Um, it was well, you know, yeah. she's. Yeah, I mean, she said, you know, it was, um, you know, it's been a rough couple of years, yeah. and I, you know, we can all remember, you know, that her match on on number one court last year against Christian, perhaps, you know, one of the the worst losses. Arguably, you know, she might look back on her career when it's all said and done, and and say that was her worst, you know, her Most worst painful. loss. Mm. Yeah, def- you know, lucky loser had you know match point wasn't able to get the job done, and um, you know, really kind of felt you know with this this win today it was it was it was sort of therapeutic in the sense that she's able to exercise those demons, um, exercise those demons even to. Um, you know, given you know, given what happened on this court last mm, year, and I mm. think that does take that does that does have to take belief and, mm. and confidence, mm. and you know, to really kind of believe that you can can get through that. And you know, I do think you know we've seen over certainly over the last you know six months or so that um, I, I you know we've seen her on court, and I actually just don't think the belief has been there. There's been a few too many three set losses. There's been flashes of brilliance, agreed, but it's it's ultimately unfortunately at the WTA tour level ended in, you know, ended in defeat. Mm. And um, it was actually great. I think just this time to see her just take hold of the situation mm. and come through it. Yeah. And I think um, Heather Watson, when you, when any British fan knows, if you see Heather Watson up a break in the first set, you know, mm. she probably will lose in three. Mm. It's one of those ones where it's almost like there's it's a just one of those things. Yeah. It's an unwritten rule of tennis, isn't it? It is, and you get so, you get nervous <laughs> for her. But hopefully, after this one, she's been able to mentally right the wrong of last year in her mind, and she can really kind of play some free tennis. So next round, she has Wang, who took out the number fourteen seed Belinda Bencic, who has that sort of giant killing reputation as well. I mean, mm. she's currently ranked Beat Serena. Well, exactly. She's currently ranked one forty, and since kind of the quarterfinal and the, I think the fourth round at the US Open at back end 2019, 2020, where she took out Serena, she just hasn't been able to string together the win. She had a few a few matches in Australia, I think she won this year. But um, that's got to be an opportunity. That's a great draw for a second round when you could be facing the number 14 seed. So what do you reckon? Can Heather go deeper in the tournament? Well, I, I hope so. I hope so. You know, as I said, it's been a rough you know, she's admitted it's been a rough couple of years for her and, you know, she'll take great belief and confidence from this victory. And I hope she can carry that momentum on. Um, you know, it was also great to see Katie Balter as well today, another Brit win um, and through to round two on in the ladies section against Clara Burrell, 7-5-6-3. Indeed, indeed. There were a couple of, uh, you know, quite tight tussles for players. I'm not going to lie, Chris, I-, I thought, you know, could be, you know, could feature at the latter end of the tournament, in particular Coco Goff, mm. who had a very hard-fought win against Rusa of Romania, two six six three seven five in the third set. Kvitova also, um, you know, had a good lead-up tournament and you know <laughs> lost the first set to Jasmine Paulini six two. And I was thinking, where did that come from? A little bit like Hadad Meyer um, in in day one, but um, yeah, a couple of Grand Slam champions there that I thought you know, were maybe going to have easier matches than, you know, they, they necessarily did, but certainly good, good tests for them to come through. 
Absolutely. I think for sure, Petra Kvitova, it's always a challenge for her going kind of coming mm. off the back of a great week because she does have those great weeks and they tend to be kind of slightly in isolation. But it was just too many errors. Yeah, it seemed to just come out of nowhere, I feel. Yeah, like when she was. Like I feel like we put Kvitova mm. in that Mugrutha camp of I do nothing, I do nothing, I do nothing, blah, 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 get to a grand slam. And then we're, st- we're still talking about, oh, do you know what? Kvitova could be a, you know, could be a dark horse for this tournament. Completely. And I, I mean, I even thought maybe this tournament, she's someone you definitely wouldn't want to face, but can she get through those early rounds? So very promising that she did get through and she got better. Coco, slightly surprised by that because she really does enjoy playing on grass. Um, but she got very lucky to come through. And so a lot of collector set viewers were probably... Um, watching that eagle-eyed because if someone predicted a round one um, exit, that would have been probably the only person who would have predicted that. I mean, Kim, I think, has got her going to the semi-finals. Spoiler alert for collector set. But um, yeah, no, that was a, definitely a big sigh of relief for Coco Goff because I think in, in Australia as well, she you know had a good lead-up tournament, but I think she went out in, in round one. Um, so Maybe she's a clay, qu- a clay specialist. A clay specialist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well she does she but, loves um, she loves the dirt so mm, maybe it's been more so, um, than she thought yeah but i mean moving on to the men's side the best that you know the biggest seed um you know to go out uh today was felix ogier aliasim number six seed we had eyes on this match uh me and kim in our preview pod maxime cressy very much a dark horse uh not necessarily for the tournament but certainly to knock out uh, you know, us, you know, seeded players. I mean, I'd back him for the quarterfinal now after yeah. that result. I mean, why would you yeah, bet definitely. against him? You know, he won, I think it was two tiebreak sets and then uh, a 6 4 second set. It'd be hard to bet against him. Also, Joel, I am paying full attention. Serena has saved a match point. We're in a tiebreak. Um, oh, wow. Okay. Things are happening. <laughs> um, I'm focusing. All I have to look at is the service speed. That's all I know. Um, and it's slowing down. <laughs> the second serves are making me nervous. But yeah, there was a great win. Uh, I was watching some of that match, and I was surprised by how good Cressy was off the baseline. Um, I kind of felt like he was the serve, the volley, and maybe he didn't have the, the game from the back to back it up, but I saw some great returns today. I think Felix will be pretty disappointed with that, but I mean, it's very difficult to play against a player like that. Kind of reminds me of a bit of a Mishka uh, Zevrev in terms of, um, you know, when he had the Australian Open run and he was pretty much serving volleying the whole tournament. It's quite difficult to adjust to play someone like that. Um, and it, it's, I mean, it's especially if they're serving well, um, it's almost impossible to kind of break that run of a, a great serve and a put away with a volley. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it feels like he's like now the, <laughs> I mean, to me, Maxime Cressy is almost like now the, now that Berrettini's out, I'm like, who's the heir apparent to to Berrettini in terms of, like, you know, big serve, likes to come to the net, decent from the you know, back of the court. And, uh, yeah, I think Cressy is, uh, you know, very well you know suited in, in all those departments. So um, he is going to be a very tricky customer, um, you know, going forward in the tournament. We also had wins for Diego Schwartzman, Bautista Agut, Valio Pelka. Bottich van der Zanschulp, uh, Jensen Brooksby. Now, one player I had my, you know, had my eye on for potentially going and and doing things, maybe a, you know, cheeky run to the second week. Not going to happen because unfortunately they had to retire. Was Grigor Dimitrov? Um, he was a setup 
against Stephen jo- Steve Johnson, uh, the American, but had to unfortunately withdraw due to a groin injury. Um, again, <laughs> when I saw this news, it it came after, you know, you know the uh, the Berrettini the Berrettini news, the Chilich news the night before. I was just like, oh, when is the bad when is the bad news going to stop? When are all these forced withdrawals gonna stop um and yeah i was a little bit sad for for dimitrov because he's such a you know such a crowd pleaser on the court and um yeah disappointing for him he really is a maybe man i say this all the Mm. time and i just feel like i mean the amount of posts he does on instagram of him kind of doing the splits or sort of foam rolling out his inner thigh. I can't believe he got a groin injury. It almost blows my mind because that's almost 100% of his content is his flexibility. So um, that did look like a nasty one. Obviously, we we hope that he recovers quickly. But he was a setup. And again, um, we, we have thought that he would do particularly well. You know, he's playing well going to the French. And then he was kind of, um, kind of uh, completely brushed aside all of a sudden. So... Um, I think I always take that stuff like I don't think it's a, a great loss. I think it's a great loss for the, the British public who really enjoy watching him, a spectator's loss. But in terms of kind of when it gets to the business end, um, I'm not sure that he would have kind of featured too heavily. Um, but another match that was also on was the Shapovalov match where he has been struggling for form. That is for sure in terms of getting consistency in his form. He was able to get through in a fifth set. I mean, he was looked like he was cruising against Arthur. I'm going to say Rinderneck. Rinderneck. Yeah, Rinderneck. I'll take that. Um, it is a silent K. I've learned that now. Um, yeah, but he he was really cruising. And then all of a sudden, a couple of tie breaks, um, and he was down. And he had to come back to win the last two sets. So hopefully he can take a lot of confidence from that. And he's able to build on that because... Talking about fan favourites, he's always enjoyable to watch, apart from when he's yelling at himself. I mean, talking about fan favourites and another five-set match, uh, we had Nick Kyrgios My versus goodness. Paul Jubb. Paul Jubb. Now, I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to say it now before we all just get really excited. Lovely Jubbly. Okay. okay. Everyone is yeah. everyone is saying that on, on social media. Okay. We get it. His name is Paul Jubb. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, Paul Jubb absolutely played... Yeah, very, very well. I thought I sort of had a thought he was gonna enjoy, you know, that match against Nick Kyrgios, who I think <laughs> in the build-up just 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 said, "Yep, yeah, I'm gonna play the pantomime villain," um, you know, in this match. And um, you know, there were you know his usual tricks, underarm serves, obviously being one of them, tweeners, some good, some bad. But um, yeah, I think they both kind of reveled in that that situation, and Kyrgios was just able to to sneak through in the end in the fifth set. Seven five, but um, yeah, a good, good experience for for Paul Jubb. I think um, you know, it's not easy. I think playing someone like Nick Kyrgios, where there's, I feel like, so many things that could potentially distract you. Um, and so for him to kind of keep his composure and and you know take that first set, which was um, you know, very, you know, him making the most. I think of you know quite a few what I would say uncharacteristic Nick Kyrgios errors, but um, nice, you know, nice for Jubb. But yeah, Kyrgios coming through in the end. Indeed. I mean, the key thing for me, I mean, obviously, Kyrgios said that he played kind of uh, unbelievable kind of tennis, played exceptional tennis is the quote, um, and that he obviously really enjoyed the moment. But I mean, he did spit in the direction of the crowd and he admitted that there are a few people in the crowd who were kind of criticising him. um, Mm. And that was for them. And so I just think I try so hard. I mean, I, I 
love the excitement of his tennis, but they've reached a point, you know, where you've got to start behaving better. Um, and the time to, you know, really make your point to a crowd member isn't against a wild card in the first round of Wimbledon. So I think there should be some repercussions for this behaviour because um, that is beyond unacceptable. And I think people saying it as a headline, um, I think people should be asking whether he should be disqualified because you can't spit at somebody um, on any tournament anywhere um, and you can't admit to it. And if you do admit to it, then the umpires, I mean, you should, well, I would still like them to make a decision on it because I don't want people to think that behaviour is okay. You know, it's not good. Especially with, you know, heightened things around hygiene and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, Berrettini, imagine if he if he did that behaviour. I am sure there's going to be there's going to be re, repercussions. There. I want more than a fine. It's interesting because, you know, I feel like the British fans more so, I feel, than other you know, types of tennis fans around the world. For them, Nick Kyrgios is a ticking time bomb and they're going to interact with him. A, because they love it. It adds to the atmosphere, but also because they never know what's going to happen with, with Nick Kyrgios, whether it's good, whether it's bad. Um, and, you know. They sort of love him for that. So, um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. But, yeah, it was, it was you know, nice for him, I think, to get the win. But, yeah, I don't agree with, you know, some of his, his conduct mm. as usual um, on court. I can, I just know Kim is somewhere just sort of shaking, shaking her head, uh, you know, based on the... Uh, you and me both, Kim, behavior. you and me both. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we're going to take a quick break now. Uh, but I hope you can join us in the second half where we will be having a look back on all the action from day one at the championships. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to our Wimbledon round one catch up sponsored by local tennis leagues. And now we're going to move back, Chris, to day one. The start of Wimbledon, it was, I mean, it wasn't a picturesque start no. to the, you know, at all. it was great. It was miserable. There was tennis. Then there wasn't tennis. Uh, Kim was, uh, Kim was camping. Um, and interestingly, actually, there weren't that as many people as she was expecting. And, you know, actually just, just hearing, you know, hearing some stats as well that are being put around on, on social media, just generally attendance was quite low for an opening day which I don't know if that caught organizers by surprise but it certainly caught me by surprise because I think they were the lowest attendance figures uh, for the first day of a tournament since 2007 so it's it's interesting you know I would I was sort of surprised by that because I would have thought you know Wimbledon's around everyone wants to get out again unrestricted make the most of, you know, a nice day out. But uh, it seems, you know, quite a few people stayed away. Yeah, I saw on Twitter that people were talking about, you know, the fact that there were empty stands for Andy Murray and mm. Heather Watson. Yeah, you could see more. it on the TV. You could. And I thought, you know what, it was probably at the start of a set and people had been in there for two sets and need to go out and get something to eat. I thought it might be one of those moments. Um, but it doesn't seem to be the case. So it seems like numbers are lower and I always thought that the first day of Wimbledon, it was never worth even bothering queuing for because people have the whole weekend. They can start queuing on a Sunday. They don't have work on a Sunday or most people don't. So I think that's it's really telling. And maybe it's um, a sign of, you know. Why do you think that is? I feel like it could be a combination of things. I think obviously um, a lot of the, I mean, last year was always going to be a really, really popular one. 
Um, and so I think maybe it's a case where it was like that immediate euphoria. Yeah, we had that cheer. That cheer. Do you remember that cheer on Centre Court? Oh the, yeah, uh, the vaccines and hooray for the vaccines and yeah, it was just that euphoric feeling. Yeah, just getting getting back out there. There's always going to be a bit of a letdown, but I mean, I think you've got more theories than I do. I was just genuinely surprised because all sporting events seem to get bigger and bigger and bigger these days. I do wonder about you know the cost of living you know at the moment in in the UK and and whether that has had an effect on specifically kind of the queue and immediate ticket sales you know i understand that people who got tickets in the ballot um you know that wouldn't have you know affected them as much but certainly i think people at the moment may you know be feeling the, feeling the pinch and as a result of that they can't afford you know to you know spend a hundred quid on a, on a nice day out at Wimbledon, and as a result of that, they've you know maybe stayed away from the tournament. Potentially international. Would you think about international audiences? Mm. Because I know yeah. that there's a lot of masks still being worn internationally, and potentially, especially in the US. So potentially that some of those international seats that would be bought traditionally by those um, those kind of tours. I've seen lots of tours that people yep. organise. Yep. Maybe there's less international interest. Um, and maybe there was more last year because, as you say, it was like the big get yourself back out there. You can you can go and you haven't been able to go for a few years. But um, yeah, it's a, it's very unusual at Wimbledon. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see if that continues because you'd expect, you know, going on later in the tournament, you know, more, more exciting matches, getting towards, you know, finding out who our champions are. I hope that we do obviously get to see 100% capacity. But uh, yeah, a little bit of a, it feels like a, a slow start on, on day one. And who knows, maybe an argument again, like other Grand Sams, like the French, uh, you know, French Open start on the Sunday on, on the weekend, um, mm. you know, uh, when you know, people aren't necessarily working, because obviously that could have been a factor as well. The fact that just a lot of people, you know, work on a Monday. So um, we're back in the office. Maybe it's that, maybe it's that Joel. <laughs> could be that. But um you know, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll happily take some remote working from uh, SW19. Um, but um, yeah, let's talk about the action. I mean, <laughs> centre court, similar to Rafa, as, as I said, you know, at the beginning, had Novak Djokovic against against Son Wu Kwon, came through six three three six six three six four. Again, didn't really have it his own way the whole time. Was able to get it done in the end. Picked up a nice little record as well. Became the first man or woman, first player to win 80 matches at each of the Grand Sams, which is very, very impressive. Um, but yeah, another sort of surprising slow start, but perhaps maybe not as surprising as Rafa, because I, I remember last year, Jack Draper took the first set of Novak Djokovic. And so, you know, from that point of view, I wasn't, I was less surprised, but, but you just think world number one on his home court hasn't, lost on this court I think back to 2017 against Thomas Burdich in uh, his quarterfinals so again from that perspective still left me a little bit like oh what's going on here it's as you said it's not unusual uh he's, he's lost sets to say Jack Draper Brooksby like uh I mean he, mm. he does tend to lose sets to players it feels like we, he does have these lapses now more than before mm. um mm. where he is chucking in a, a set that um, you know, is you know to to his opponent. Well, I I, I think that's actually unfair on Quan because I actually think 
he played very, very well in that second set. He totally deserved to win that second set, to be honest. But, but does he deserve to win a set against an inform Novak Djokovic? No. Mm. At his yeah. level and so much higher. Um, mm. I do have to interrupt this announcement because Serena Williams has just lost in a third set tiebreak oh. in three hours and 10 minutes. Oh, That is really painful. Get the violins out. Honestly, get the violins out. I'm I just, sorry, Chris. I, I'm going to find it hard. Again, I find it hard to concentrate. And now it's game over for me. So, Joel, you might be on your own for the rest of the pod. But um, I wish... I'm just going to do a monologue. Yeah, for yeah exactly. We can just talk more about less people and the cost of living. Um, but I think it's definitely a case that... Um, yeah, I wish she play, played Eastbourne and played singles because she said she was ready to play singles. But... Oh, you're really sad about this, aren't you? Yeah, I am. You can tell your voices, your voices. She, I dropped. I think she is probably the greatest athlete of all time. Controversial, maybe not controversial. I just think, I, yeah. So this is um, a real blow, but um, hopefully she'll be at the US Open. And now back to Djokovic. Um, oh, damn. Um, yeah, I think he'll be fine. I think he'll he'll continue to progress. It depends if he's got COVID or not, because we all know he's not vaccinated. So that's that's my only question. So we'll watch watch this space. Yeah, it will be it will it will be interesting. I mean, I'm sure he's he's going to pick up his game, and um, you know, it was a momentary blip. Um, we did have another four set win for Andy Murray uh, against mm. James Duckworth on center. Um, Again, perhaps this was a little bit more expected because, you know, Murray, we had fitness concerns coming in. There was talk about his serve and how little serving he did after Stuttgart. But mm. uh, uh, and, and and actually, you know, in that first set, his serve was all over the place. Um, yes, Duckworth was playing very, very well. Um, he was almost, I think, playing the best he could. Um, well, as Andy Murray was was not really and his he was having real issues finding any sort of rhythm on his first and second serve. But once that was out of the way and he reset himself from that second set, um, yeah, it turned out to be relatively comfortable. That fourth set was a little bit trickier, I think, under the, you know, under the roof where the serving conditions were better and you felt it was going to be just the case of, of one, ba- one break or even a tie break. But um, yeah, Murray able to eventually get it done in the end. And uh, I think, the most promising thing was that, you know, at the end, he, he's basically said that, look, yes, in at the end of Stuttgart, I, you know, I had a bit of an injury question and that led to me pulling out of Queens. But it doesn't look like that has, touch wood, um, has, um, you know, hampered his, his play on court, um, certainly not in his first match. And it felt a bit different last year. I went and I saw him play against Oscar Ott, who's now seeded. So, I mean, that's quite impressive. And maybe it puts a different spin on that match. But that one, we were all worried throughout. We were very, very nervous because of the fact we know that he was struggling for form. It was a little bit desperate at times last year. Whereas I felt like this match had, because uh, there was a confidence about Murray. Like, you know, obviously after dropping that first set, he did get it done in the next three. And, and we've seen so many of those matches go five where he hasn't able to keep the momentum once he's got it. So I feel like he played himself into it. He started to play a lot better, started to serve better. And um, I think it's a bit of a, a bit of a difference um, from last year in terms of some of the very nerve wracking matches we've had. I felt like he was going to do it and he got it done. So I feel like there's a lot, a lot of positives there. 
I think also for you know he was helped by Duckworth. I think he got just fixated on the roof and he was like umpire close the roof referee close the roof and i think he went a little bit awol um you know towards the end of that you know that third set um which sort of run away from him a little bit but um yeah good performance from murray and also a good performance from emma raducanu um who came through alison van utvank six four six four now (laughs) chris Mm. i i i feel like the the hype for this match it was like Alison Van Utvank was the tenth seed and not Emma Raducanu because we were all so worried about Alison Van Utvank's form on the grass, you know, her wins uh, and her play, uh, you know, on the ITF level, and uh, you know, I think she reached a, a WTA grass court quarterfinal as well. But um, yeah, Emma Raducanu, she just she just brought it, didn't she? It, you know, it started a little bit nervy. Both players had long juice games, but um, the more I felt Raducanu grew into that match. Yeah, she was playing some very, very good tennis. She really was. I also agree with you on the Alison Van Utvank point because I texted you being like, why is everyone pretending she's eager? Like, mm. I'm really confused by this. Um, and maybe it's because we've now shifted our attitude slightly um, of, with Radicanu of thinking that, you know, there are some really challenging opponents. And when you're, when you're first finding your feet on the tour, these are the sort of matches that can be really difficult against someone who's a bit um, unconventional. But... Big audience. Emma loves a big crowd, a home yeah, crowd. Agreed. Biggest agreed. crowd since she's played in front of probably since the, is it since the US Open? Presumably. Um, well, certainly the noisiest. Let's put it that one uh, as that. I think she rose to the occasion. I was slightly concerned from her pre-tournament, you know, her pre-tournament um, interview where she didn't say she was injury free. She said she was good to go or was worse to that effect which you kind of mm. felt like were carefully chosen. Um, like I can play at 90%, but I'm not 100%. Yeah, and I don't think she really wanted to say she wasn't or anything like that before mm. the tournament. And it's something where, um, like when we've seen her before in Australia, when she was, had blisters to the point where she couldn't play, yep. and she still said, I'm going on court, and she blimmin' well almost got it. So I think she knows that she can do an awful lot even when she's not at 100%. And we don't always know when she's not at 100%. She can tell us afterwards. But she was playing well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think, as you said, Van Van, very unconventional player. A lot of kind of, you know, a lot of spin, a lot of, you know, redirection from the baseline. Um, you know, good volleyer as well. But um, Emma was just, you know, able to kind of deal with, deal with that threat and deal with it really convincingly. I, I will say, though, those earrings, those are not practical sports earrings, are they? Come on. Um, they're from Tiffany's, I assume, right? I know. I yeah. know. What, from that Tiffany's sports range? Uh, yes, indeed. Yeah, no, they're just like, they're just like dangling there. I was just like, oh, these are look, these are very pretty. But I'm like, you know, and I, I, I understand, you know, I get like, yeah, you've been paid lots and lots of money to, to, to wear them. But, she um, will, she'll turn yeah. up, she'll <laughs> turn up wherever the contract, uh, states and, and she, she made wear... she made sure the earrings were in the all white your white dress code oh yeah and she wore them to the um the post-match interview <laughs> in a raffa shirt the earrings mm. were still present so i wonder <laughs> how much per minute she's getting paid to wear those earrings but <laughs> if i was getting paid to wear them i also would wear them and i would um yeah i would talk about them as much as i could <laughs> get <laughs> get my rate up but i was really um pleased to see her back see her playing well and um there's something about for her playing in front of a, like a British crowd where I feel like it frees her. 
I think that's really refreshing, actually, because I think too many Brits we've seen over the years just get, I feel like, paralysed by the pressure of of playing in front of a, a home crowd. You know, we spoke to John Lloyd, um, you know, about his his book, Dear John, uh, you know, the other week, and and he said he never felt like he fully pre- performed at Wimbledon, um, given you know the home crowd and and the pressure and the expectation there. But I think it's refreshing to see Emma Raducanu. You know, remind me of you know when Andy Murray broke on in the sense that she just, I just, she just again, she just revels in it. She's like, she's like on Jabour. She just doesn't. She just is brave. She takes it all in her stride. And yes, there are loads of billboards and advertising campaigns promoting her at the moment, but she's focusing on her game. And yeah, she really kind of didn't just let any of that expectation weigh her down. Um, in a in a match against a you know potentially tricky opponent, I do love um, the statements that came out prior to Wimbledon starting, which was I think it was iconic. It, rather than Emma saying, "I'm not being distracted by all my endorsements," I'm fully focused on my tennis. Like she said that a few times, where she puts the same amount of time in. It's negotiated, like <laughs> it doesn't affect her court time, like people say mm. it does. But but her agent said it's not affecting her. And I was like, that is a boss move, right? The agent will say it's not affecting her. Of course he'll say that. I kind of like it though, but I don't think it is. Exactly, exactly. I mean, we did have we did have a couple of, you know, five set matches on the men's side uh, for two players that, again, people were looking at maybe in the uh, ones to watch stroke favourites uh, category. And that's Carlos Alcaraz and mm-hmm. Hubert Hercaj contrasting fortunes here because Alcaraz did come through his five set match against Jan Leonard Struff 6-4 in the fifth whilst Alejandro Davidovich Fikina defeating Hubert Hercaj I mean Chris this could have been a lot easier and simpler for mm. Davidovich Fikina I feel two sets up uh he was up in the third set as well decides to hit a tweener um <laughs> from the baseline that felt ill-advised at the time and you know after four sets of tennis it still felt very ill-advised because he went on to lose that that third set went on to lose that fourth set and was a breakdown in in the fifth Mm. set as well but um he showed great mental strength I feel to come back and and win that in a final set tie break particularly against someone like Herkaj who as I said there was you know expectation on him to to go far here given you know Haller champion the week before um but you know, for, for him, uh, you know, I think he's a he's a player who's impressed me, you know, because he, yes, he, you know, played very well in, in Monte Carlo earlier this year. But he's also, I think, quite a handy Spanish grass court player. My real frustration with this result is that her catch should be a player that has it all. He's one of those players that I say that mm. about, but he just, his mind goes to the races. It's so hard to know kind of who who was turning up that day and, I mean, for the first two sets, he just was not playing um, the tennis that you know he can play. And I think I've seen this more and more um, on the men's side, that players that have phenomenal serves seem to get broken all the time. And I understand people are getting better at returning, but I do think it's something where um, even if you're having a bad day, lots of players with great serves are able to bring that to the table, you know, every um, every every match. So I think it's, um, it's one where I think he... He should be winning these matches. I think David Fakina, I mean, he did so well to stay in it after, you know, when you have that match point. Mentally, it's so difficult to stay with it. Going down a break, 
a super close tie break where it was very, very tight from both of them. Um, but it was on her catcher's racket. Fakina did get a bit passive. So great for him to get through. Um, surprised that he's, he's done that. But um, again, an, another loss for the, the top 10 seeds. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, uh, you know, one probably the biggest you know surprise uh, you know on on day one. Um, <laughs> and what was interesting? I mean, people were talking about this, Chris. The Haller curse. Yes, the Haller curse. Non Roger Federer Haller champions since two thousand and eleven have all lost in round one at Wimbledon. Herkaj in 2022, Umber in 2021, Chorich in 2018, Florian Meyer in 2016, Tommy Haas in 2012, and then Philip Kohlschreiber in 2011. So, yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's like, go and play Queens. Don't play Haller. There's the Haller curse. So, uh, and Herkaj is now part, you know, a part of that infamous group. But, um, yeah, he'll be disappointed. Um the other seventh seed in the women's draw also went out on day one. Danielle Collins. Oh, our girl Danielle. Mm, Danielle uh, went out yeah. to Marie Bushkova, 5-7-6-4-6-4. I mean, these got, I mean, this was just a fantastic tennis match, I thought. Great, great quality. Um, that third set, I feel, was just very, um, yeah, was just very, very good quality. And Bushkova, she just was not missing, I felt. She mm. was hitting very, very few unforced errors and she moved around the court very, very well. I was very, very impressed by that. So, um, yeah, great upset win for Bushkova against Collins. I was impressed as well. I was impressed with her against Serena and Ons last week. Super impressed mm. with her game. Um, she kind of pushed through, kind of coming into, what was it, 20, 2020. She had a really great year and she hasn't done as much since. Um, but no, I think she if she plays a tight game, she's a pretty difficult opponent for Danielle because she gets a lot of balls back in court and she can also um, strike winners herself. And she had a great ratio in that match. So um, a shame to see Danielle go out, but I think um, Bushkova, it's also good to see someone who kind of did have that early success. It'd be great to see her sort of recap some of that form. Yeah. And and and, fi- and just finally, before we go on to collect a set, I mean, we also had Haddad Meyer, arguably the most informed uh, women's player on the tour, Go out in round one to Kaya Yuvan, six four four six six four. You know, she said she was very disappointed um, after her match, uh, particularly with her mindset. She said, today and also against Kvitova, I wasn't as focused as I should have been. That's what hurts me the most. And and to me, that suggests maybe she overplayed in the build-up. Felt like she just played every single grass court tournament possible. Um, and maybe maybe she was just overspent going into this you know, going into the, you know, going into the, the Grand Slam and the and the main event. So maybe she looks at you know, her schedule in the future. But um, yeah, I mean, Kai Yuvan, again, another player who's, who's just a dangerous round one opponent, whoever, you know, you're going to face. But yeah. um, given Haddad Meyer's momentum, yeah, bit of a surprise. I mean, if you aren't a player that normally has that many wins, you know, it's probably kind of, you do come back down to earth. Um, you know, you can't always sit like a football. Um, and obviously she was she was doing just that. So I think um I'm not too surprised, but maybe, you know, her dad Maya, maybe she just she doesn't get out of bed unless they're ranking points these days, you know? Could <laughs> could also be that. And I mean, mm. something she can take from this is you get a decent paycheck for round one, but you also she probably all of her points 
have made such a difference to her ranking that the opportunities she's going to get later in the year mm. are going to be really great. Yep. But I mean, where are we as a kind of a little debate here, Joel? Where are we on the play a warm up tournament or don't play a warm up tournament? Mm. Um, don't I just think play do... doubles in a warm up tournament, is what I'd say. <laughs> I think you play what? You play one event. Um, and I think you play it in the UK, ideally. Um, I just think the conditions you know are going to be similar to you know to Wimbledon you don't have to travel far um I think <laughs> you know I think I I don't I don't I don't Left think rails down playing... <laughs> very true but I don't think you play can't turn up and play an exhibition I understand that there are you know special circumstances particularly I think for players who you know might be older and you know don't feel like they need to play a, you know build up event but if I was just a regular tour player you know getting into main draws of, of WTA events, I'd be looking at playing a British, one British, you know, build-up event, perhaps two, um, and then, yeah, off to Wimbledon. Mm. The grass court season has got a bit longer, especially with all this Surbiton mm. hype. Um, yes. So I remember always went sort of straight from French Open to Queen's, and that always felt um, very abrupt, you know, a very swift change. And I think... Um, it's one where you want to make the change quite quickly. I would probably play one early on and then maybe give yourself a bit of a, a break where you practice more than you play matches. But um, yeah, I think it's a a sign that don't play every week on grass. Um, no, I agree. I agree. It, you'll start, um, yeah, you can't keep a, a run on grass. It's particularly hard to keep going. Yeah. And I think Haddad Meyer, unfortunately, learned that the hard way. Mm. Um, let's move on. We've got our collector set predictions uh for 2022 Wimbledon so listeners we asked what round do you think these six players will reach or if they will win and that was Rafael Nadal, Matteo Berrettini, Nick Kyrgios, Serena Williams, Igor Swiatek and Coco Goff mm. um before we we go on obviously oh, Berrettini God, has yeah. dropped out so I mean unprecedented times in collector set but we're just going to scratch Berrettini off. So collector set is now going to be out of five. Serena Williams out in round one as well. Um, but my predictions were Rafael Nadal final, Matteo Berrettini semi-final, Nick Kyrgios quarter-final. I mean, this is the most awkward of all, Chris. Mm. Serena Williams champion. Right. Okay. <laughs> so uh, Igor Sviontek semi-final and I've got Coco Goff in round four. So the uh, the curse of what you've done here is that you, you've actually done this to Serena. So I hold you personally responsible <laughs> because the first time I came on the pod and did collect a set, you've said whatever you put in won't happen. Whatever you predict won't happen. So um, Serena fans, please go after Joel. Um, whereas <laughs> Who I, have you gone for? Well, so I went to Dell semi-final. Berrettini actually put a little C because I thought he'd get COVID next to it. Um, <laughs> I actually think that's an F. I think I said final. Um, Kyrgios, I said quarterfinal. Um, Williams said third round. So I was trying to be like slightly optimistic, but also like realist. Um, Ego, I said semi-final. And then Goff, I put for a quarterfinal. So I'm, I've done slightly How are you be- feeling after mm. the last couple of days? I, I honestly think that grass is the great leveller. Anyone can win, anyone can lose. Like how many tan can can beat a twenty three time Grand Slam winner, having not been able to put two wins together this whole season? So, 
I mean, Serena's put no wins together this season, so understand maybe that's not a great stat. But um, yeah, I think anyone can win, anyone can lose. And I think we might be in for a surprise on both sides. I think we really could. Um, the only thing that makes me think not so on the men's is the five-set format. It's harder to spring a surprise on one of the players that are more seasoned at the five-set. But um, I'm not confident, Joel, I'll put it that way. <laughs> Okay, well let's let's see let's see how we get on. But I'm obviously not confident either. Um, <laughs> obviously but, uh, not. Yeah, no. I feel like if I could just not be bottom, will be a result. Um, but yeah, we'll get Kim's collector set uh, predictions as well once she comes back on um, later on in the week. But um, let's look on to day three at Wimbledon, Chris. We've got Djokovic, Raducanu, Murray all on centre court. As per day one, Djokovic has got Kokinakis. Emma Raducanu has one of Kim's favourites, Caroline Garcia. And Andy Murray rounds off centre court with John Isner. Contivate Nori and Sakari on, on court one. Kasper Rudes on court two. Um, where are you Where are you looking at? What what matches are, are sparking your, your interest? Well, I'll tell you what. Um, all of those matches on centre for a second round are pretty, pretty spicy. Um, I think Kokonakis will take a set. I think he, I'm, I don't think he's going to get, oh, do I? I, I, it's hard to predict having seen Djokovic play, uh, at the start of the week, but I do think that that could be a tricky one. I think Garcia Raducanu will also be tricky. I think Emma will probably get that. I, I'm nervous about an Isna match, you know, if he can serve his way out of it as well. Um, even but, though the head-to-head's like eight nil, Murray, I'm still like, okay, they've not played I've, each other in so long. It, it doesn't matter what the head-to-head says. Yeah, I think I'm looking down, and I reckon my match of the day might be on an outside court. Unsurprisingly, Joel, um, I'm. Is all... it Yanina Wickmeyer versus Yelena Ostapenko? It is. How did you know? <laughs> I'm like, that's the perfect story. It's got Ostapenko firing winners left, right, and centre, and it's got the comeback story. <laughs> The Belgium, mm. the former, was she a former top 10 Belgium? I think she was. Who's... She got to a Grand Slam semi-final, I think. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, that is a, for court number three, that is a high caliber second round. Um, and I do think Ostapenko's going to win that. What about you, Joel? I'm actually looking out on to court 12 and I want to watch Tim van Rijthoven versus Riley Opelka. Um, the Dutch wildcard, you know, making waves uh, back home in the build-up, um, yeah, I'd, I'd go out and, and as long as it doesn't clash with Andy Murray, um, yeah, I'd, I'd like to go watch that, um, given, uh, yeah, I think that that match could have a lot of tie breaks or very close sets that uh, that, that match could, I feel like, be decided by a point or two each way. But, Another um, match, Joel, I've scrolled all the way down to court 17, Donna Vekic and Jessica Pagula are still mm. yet to play their first round match, and that is a, yeah. that is a good first round match. Um, Vekic is a great grass quarter who's still kind of coming back into form after injury. Um, and Pagula, I haven't seen her. Has she played on grass so far? I don't think she has, you know. Um, I don't think yeah, she has either. It's... So we'll have to see, right? And we've also got Harriet Dart, who's not played her round one match either. Yes. So, um, yeah, we're still playing a little bit of catch up on Wimbledon. And the double starts. And the double starts, I know, exactly. It's all so, go uh, on day all... three. It's all kicking off and I will be there. So that's all very exciting. So, um, yes, listeners, I hope you have enjoyed listening to this round one, round by round catch up 
with the Tennis Weekly. Make sure to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action at Wimbledon on whatever device you listen to us on. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Follow us on social media and email the show on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. It's at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can email the show at TennisWeeklyPod at gmail.com or you can check out our website at www.tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back on Thursday at Tennis Weekly HQ to catch up on all the round two events at Wimbledon. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.